Eric Fildebrandt, publisher of the Western Standard, and you're watching The Pipeline. Today is Ju a beautiful June 28th, beautiful at least here in sunny Calgary, uh, joined as usual by Western Standard opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford. How are you, Nigel? Lots of opinions today, Derek. Never short, never short. We've also got, uh, as usual, Western Standard senior Alberta columnist, Corey Morgan. Sorry. I'm good. There you go. I didn't even ask. Just nodding at you. Subdued today. Uh, subdued? Well, that'll be a unwelcome surprise. I'll work myself up. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about the big media in Canada getting yet another big media bailout. And why do they need that big media bailout? Well, because their other bailout, uh, no, I should say not their other bailout, the latest bailout, Bill C-18, to steal money from uh, tech companies and give it to these undeserving looters has blown up in their faces, crushing their business models yet further, so they're going to need more bailouts. Wonderful news. Speaking of sort of bailouts, the two biggest media companies in Canada, or two biggest newspaper chains, I should say, are in talks for a merger. That is Post Media and Torstar. And if that happens... That'll be pretty much nearly every single major daily paper in English-speaking Canada will be under a single corporation, operated out of Toronto and owned out of the United States. So, it's a great few days for the free press in Canada, isn't it, folks? Uh, and we're going to talk about the Liberals' fortune cookie here. The Liberals are very... Um, well, some internal memos coming out showing how worried they are about perceptions of uh, of the China file and a few other few other things involving liberals in China here, and uh, well, it's a gas. Uh, you might recall uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz came to Canada cup in hand, cap in hand, saying we need Canada's natural gas. We don't want to buy from Russia anymore. We're going to freeze in the dark in the winter. And Justin Trudeau said there's no business case for it. Well, if you needed any further proof. Uh, that theory is kaput. Now that the United States has signed a big liquid natural gas export deal with Germany. No business case indeed. Well, probably not if you're living in Canada, at least. Okay, before we get going, though, I want to thank my favorite sponsor, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. You know me, I've been a member of the CSSA for more than a decade because I trust them as Canada's leading firearms rights group. If you are a law-abiding gun, gun owner in Canada, you need to be a member of the CSSA because they are on the front line, standing on guard for your right to own, purchase, and responsibly use firearms in Canada. Without the CSSA, uh, the federal government would have probably seized the last of our uh, firearms long ago. So if you're not yet a member... Go to cssa-cila.org right now. Click on membership. It's worth every single penny. Okay, so uh, we're going to get into it now. Uh, big media gets more big media bailouts. So just a quick little history to set the table. About four years ago now, the Trudeau government said, hey, media guys, uh, I guess we're not friendly enough. We're going to get a little friendlier, and we're going to give you a $500 million subsidy package over a few years here. And all you got to do is be considered officially approved as media by this friendly group of totally nonpartisan, non-liberal, liberal media panelists. Now, that's obviously done nothing to actually get the media on a solid financial footing in Canada. It's just delayed the evolution of the press till whatever, where we're supposed to be right now, but clearly are not. 
Uh, fast forward to like, a year and a half. Big media guys say, we still, uh, we're still not good businesses. We can't make a buck. We need more help from the federal government. So uh, then we get Bill C-18. C-18 is designed to quite literally steal money from Facebook and Google, companies I'm not particularly normally fond of, but in this case, literally steal from these companies to give to big government-approved media companies. Um, because Google and Facebook uh, help readers find our websites, which I've always considered to be a good thing. They're providing us a service, generally free of charge. So, but big media say that Google and Facebook need to pay them for the privilege of helping them. So, you know, uh, you dear uh, listener, viewer, if you owned, uh, I don't know, a hot dog stand and I went to your hot dog stand and said, give me a hot dog and you gave me a hot dog, and now I say, now give me $4 as well. That is what the media is doing here. It is the craziest, dumbest bill in history. And that is saying something. Uh, Google has said there's going to be consequences if this bill passes because they're not going to play ball. And Facebook, or Meta, has outright said, if you pass this bill, we're going to turn off the news in Canada because we are not going to pay media companies for doing them a solid. It's crazy and has unlimited, uncapped liabilities. Well, the bill just passed uh, last week, and uh, surprise, Facebook said they are now doing what they said they would do. And shock, the media, the government, how could we have seen this coming? They only told us they would do it a few hundred times in writing and in public. Well, they did do it. And so now media is panicking, saying, what are we going to do without Facebook and Google? What are we going to do? Well, just proving that actually they were providing us the service, not the other way around. And uh, in response, the federal liberals have said, don't worry, kids, we're going to make you whole. And uh, they haven't spelled out the details of it yet, but uh, the federal liberals have said that there's going to be a whole new round of media bailouts because the big media got the bill they wanted and it predictably blew up in their faces. So that's enough ranting from me. Nigel, uh, you used to be a very uh, senior member of the Calgary Herald. You were on the editorial board. Um, I guess it was a different era in media when they were businesses and existed without uh, uh, sucking on the government teat. Um, how do you think the liberals are going to be able to square this? They've, they've been bailing out these bastards for years now. They've given them everything they wanted. It's blown up in their faces. And now they need more money. How are the, This is probably not going to be particularly popular with Canadian voters. How, how do you think the liberals can square this? Well, first of all, they'll uh, make it a non-issue. They'll just do it and then uh, forget about it. Um, up to people like us to remind them, but the public has got a very short memory for anything, and this is, this will just pass. I mean, uh, people should still be uh, outraged at that at the first bailout that went to the media. Now, I think you used the figure of five hundred million. I've seen six hundred million. In Actually, it. somewhere between there. Yeah, yeah it's it's a, it's a little more than that. But it, it frankly doesn't matter how much money you give them. There, it's not going to be enough. Not within the realms of common sense. It's a little bit like saying the buggy whip manufacturers. Remember the cliche about how uh, technology overtakes some old traits. If you had a subsidy program going for buggy whip manufacturers, you could certainly still have some buggy whip manufacturers around, but who would be buying the buggy whips? Because they're yeah, like driving a car, you know. Yeah. So we're talking about a business model 
that was based on the sale of advertising, and that paid the freight in newspapers for the most part. Yes, there were subscriptions, but the subscriptions never paid it, paid for that's like 10% mm-hmm. of the revenue. And um, subscriptions are actually more for just the delivery. It, generally. Often didn't even cover that, but certainly mm-hmm. the they, the point being, subscriptions don't pay the costs that newspapers have have incurred. And uh, I I just can't see how this is ever going to um, ever going to salvage the newspaper companies. And I talk about newspapers. This is awesome. CBC, CTV, Global. Mm-hmm. Th- these are not good. It's the same business model. Advertising. People advertise on the internet. I mean, you could just see. I remember being in the Herald when we started to see the legal ads, which were very, very profitable, starting to leave Section 3 and end up on sites on the internet. Then came Kijiji, and by that time I was off to, off to Ottawa. By the time I came back, you know, the Herald was about that thick and uh, very, very little advertising in it. So they haven't come up with a way to monetize their product. And I'm not sure there's one out there that they ought to have grabbed. It's not like I'm sitting here where you should have just done that. I'm not sure what they should have done. The thing was, the whole model wasn't working. But this is this is dangerous for democracy. Corey, a similar but slightly different question for you. Um, the media... In Canada, I mean, the media across the Western world is generally going down in trust as an institution. If you can call the media an institution. Um, but in Canada, I think it's gone down particularly fast. Because, in, in particular, because uh, a few things. Hyper-consolidation means you're getting one particular worldview out of things, generally a very Toronto-centric leftist worldview. Uh, but also the media bailouts, I think, have been devastating for trust in media as an institution in Canada. They've gotten oodles of money. They've now gotten this asinine and idiotic Bill C-18 that I I can't even say predictably blew up in their face, was always going to blow up in their face. There was a 100% chance it was going to blow up in their face and then they did it and then it happened. Now they're, I don't want to use too graphic a rude term, but they're doing favors for Trudeau under the table. Let's put it that way. And uh, Trudeau's doing it back to them. How can the media, how's the media, the big media in Canada, going to be able to square this message with their readers and with Canadians more broadly that they're trying to earn some trust back when all these guys do is like, they're just, they're bastards. They're greedy bastards. You can tell I'm, I'm obviously a little pissed off about this one. They just ring the taxpayer for money they get this other legislation, blows up in their face. It's going to hurt the independents like the Western Standard a lot more than them. But then they get to say, oh, we've been hurt by these bad companies because we couldn't have foreseen that they would react like this to the bill. Give us more taxpayers' cash. How is Post Media, you know, so the Herald, the Journal, the Suns, the National Post, how's the Globe and Mail, how's the Toronto Star, how are all these guys going to kind of square this with their readers and be able to convince them that they're not the greedy bastards that they really are? Well, they won't, but they don't care. They don't have any readers anymore. That, that's the, the whole... Well, they've still got of, some. Very few, though. I, you know, people aren't tuning into the TV anymore when the news is on. People Not aren't, the TV, but the people, people are still reading news the, online. They aren't picking up the newspaper, you know, at the corner store. They're looking online, but companies like the Western Standard are eating their lunch. They, 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 they have a t- micro audience compared to what they had 10 years ago. And they're just desperate. They're, they're, they're drowning 
Uh, and, you know, as, as Nigel said, it's a broken model. The government can pour all the money it wants in. It's flowing out the holes in the boat faster than you can pour it in. And they're flailing. They're just grabbing any lifeline they can. They, don't, they aren't thinking about squaring it with readers or, or journalistic principles or anything like that. They're, they're companies that can't, for the life of them, figure out a successful model. So they're just begging for and grabbing any little bit of money they can. And uh, the bailout model is not sustainable either. It's just a, a question of how much damage to, yeah, public trust, to media, and to, and to the government coffers, and to little outfits like ours is going to be done while they try to keep this corpse animated. And uh, it, it, it's an ugly, ugly path we're on. Um, so let's, this is obviously a self-interested part, but let's talk about what this does to competitors. The, the entrepreneurial, independent media that have been on the rise. Canada is way beyond the eight ball uh, from where a lot of other advanced Western countries are with an independent media coming up. Those other countries have either not bailed out their media at all or have provided significantly less forms of government assistance. Uh, but in Canada, you know, we are subsidizing the buggy industry or, or the candle industry, whichever way we want to slice this. And it is retarding growth, is retarding innovation and entrepreneurial newcomers. Uh, you know, the Western Standard has, since our very first day, said we're not taking the government bailout money. It's dirty money. We're not going to touch it. And that's been hard. It's a competitive disadvantage for us, but we've done it. And now C-18 cuts us off at the knees, takes away uh, our, some of our biggest sources of readership. And I know some of our dedicated readers, dedicated listeners and viewers are going to say, well, I just go straight to you guys. Uh, you know, or I, or I, get, I, I go in through the newsletter in the morning. That's awesome. And that's what we want. But finding new readers requires that we have to have people who are not currently on our list or people who don't have us bookmarked and going to us every day. And if you're not growing, you're dying. This is just trying to kill us now. And I, and I think this is what these guys were getting at. I think they, the big media guys and the government, they wanted the money, the free money to come from Facebook and Google. But they always knew in the back of their mind, well, if Facebook and Google do what they say they're going to do, worst case scenario, we'll take the bailout. But... We can cut off a bunch of our competitors, the Western standards and other independent non-bailed-out media. We're just we're cutting off the competition at the knees. Um, so let me just go to you, Nigel. Do you think this was – what was the design here? Was the design to bail these guys out um, or was it always designed knowing it was going to fail and that it'll, it'll help stifle – or actually, it'll just, I mean, maybe I'll put it another way. Just your thoughts on – uh, between the first bailout, C-18, and now the second cash taxpayer bailout, which we expect to come, what is, good, what is the effect on the evolution of the media industry in Canada? I think it takes them back to about 1975. I think it, uh, I mean, those were the days when the only game in town were what we refer to as the legacy media. Now, there was no internet, there was no Western standard or anything like it. And, well, we had the Alberta uh, report, but it had to be a well, magazine. It had to be, it had to be printed, didn't it? So, mm -hmm. and, and that was, uh, uh, I, I don't think that was necessarily always a money-making enterprise. You should no. get Vince Byfield on that subject. But mm -hmm. at any rate, the, uh, so the gov government now will have this dependent entity, the news media, which is going to understand that if it goes too far, there will be consequences. It may never be announced. It never may never be publicized. But something that could have happened won't happen. Next time, keep your boys on a tighter leash. So it's 
And you will never be able to convince people that that isn't going on. And this speaks to the trust issue that Corey brought up just a moment ago. There are other reasons to be distrustful of mainstream media products. It's not all bad. Some of it is good. I mean, some of the work done bringing the China inquiry material to light, that mm -hmm. was mainstream media, and they did a good job. And out of the big mainstream papers, guess which one is the only one that's profitable? Global Mail. Yeah. And that's... However, having said all of that, most people will say, well, if the government is paying you, even if nobody even sends a letter, an email, a text saying you better cover this this way, nobody will ever believe that that doesn't happen and doesn't happen frequently. So now you've got um, a, a, an old style news media going on just like it did 40 years ago, uh, as if the internet didn't exist, and the government holding the leash. It's a very, very sad day. Only one thing will be different. There will be no more 35% on revenue earnings by the traditional news media. How would you like 35% revenue? Oh, nice. Wouldn't that be nice? That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Corey, I, I guess you know some of this is maybe internal, um, but it's maybe just your general thoughts. Like, you know, we, we, we have said no to the bailouts from the beginning, but our, our own tax dollars that we pay are weaponized against us. We pay the federal government money, and then they take those dollars and they hand it to these multinational conglomerates that control 99% of the Canadian media, and they use it against us. And now they pass legislation to cut off virtually all our new readership. So maybe I want to ask the question in terms of just the Western standard, but maybe the independent, the few, uh, very few outlets in Canada that don't take bailout money. Do you think at some point they should? Like, because like, are we just going to be faced with literally zero media? Like the independents could all go under if, like, I like to think if we get more creative, I know it seems bleak, but it, it's hard. But I mean, if you just sink into the rest of the pile, you get lost among the heavyweights anyways. You're diving into a pool with them, which is now you're in their turf and they're just going to shove you down further. <clears throat> but I mean, I, the, the desperation of being cornered and the odious nature of taking, yeah, your own revenues, taxing you and then shooting back at you that it is repugnant. But I mean, it's so important that the independents just somehow manage to do so. Like, but what if they're, they're facing they're, death? Like, there's uh, a financial reality to these. These are companies, and you have to I, pay people competitively against your competitors. I, I like, hope if it's faced with, you know, like at, at some point, I think we're faced with, like, fighting fire with fire. I, like, I, like, what do you do? I, I don't have a, a good, clear answer, but I, I just don't want to see one bigger pool. Like, this is, as you said, we're behind. Like, we're killing what should be an innovative market. We should be seeing outlets like this springing up like daisies. There's all kinds of talented people in the legacy media, and what's happening now is they're losing their jobs altogether. They should be evolving into smaller independent outlets instead. I mean, the, the journalists themselves are losing out of this. Uh, the I mean, as for jumping in and fighting fire with fire, I think it's just uh, jumping onto the pyre together then is, is all that's going to happen. I, I, it might buy a little more time, but I just, I know it, it's an ugly scenario. I don't have a clear answer. If I did, I'd be just starting an independent outlet. I don't know. It's just absolutely disgusting. It's not good enough that the government gets to control the media in the country. Now they need to go out of their way to just do everything they can to try and kill anyone who would challenge them. Yeah, you know, I don't think that's what was the original intention, but boy, oh boy, they recognized what an interesting fringe benefit it would be if this legislation... Fringe benefit, yeah, I think that's the yeah, right term. Yeah. It would also put 
some of their severest critics out of business. Okay, switching topic, but not by a lot. Uh, Post Media, the single biggest conglomerate owning newspaper chain in Canada, is now in confirmed talks with the second biggest conglomerate newspaper owning chain in Canada, Torstar. Uh, so just for those who don't know, uh, Torstar is owned by essentially two gentlemen in Toronto. Uh, Post Media is owned by Chatham Wealth Management Group out of the United States, just on the other side of the river from New York City there. So it's essentially a New York hedge fund, although technically located in New Jersey. Um, between the two of them, they control, other than the, daily, uh, the Globe and Mail and some publications in Quebec, they control virtually every newspaper in Canada. 130 brands on post media alone. Yeah. So excluding like, I don't know, your Strathmore Times and... Uh, no, no, actually quite a lot of the little local newspapers. Yeah, Alberta, Strathmore Times is not owned by the post media. Okay, you know that, yeah, okay. But uh, they, they do own a, a number of smaller ones mm -hmm. as well. But generally like mid-sized cities, it'd be something like the size of Red Deer. Well, like they own the Fort McMurray Advocate. Is that the name of the Fort McMurray paper? Red Deer Advocate. Fort or is it Fort McMurray today? Fort McMurray today. Yeah, whatever it is. Anyway, the, the, the Fort McMurray paper... They own that. So like mid-size, you know, not really small towns, but they own a bunch of those. And then they own they own the Calgary Hair. They own every single sun across the country, except for the Vancouver Sun, uh, I think. Do they own I think the Vancouver, Vancouver Sun's part of Post Media. Is it part of Post Media? Okay, I'm not sure about that one. But they own all the suns in Alberta and all the suns across Canada, except maybe Vancouver. They own the Calgary Herald, the Edmonton Journal, Victoria Times Colonist. Uh, I think they, they own the province in BC, right? Province and the sun go together. Yeah. Okay. Province. Pacific Press. They own, you know, Regina Leader Post, Ottawa Citizen, obviously the National Post, all this stuff. This would virtually mean there is one country that runs newspaper, uh, one company that runs newspapers across all of Canada, period. Adding on to that, the fact that you already have the Canadian Press <laughs> Wire Service, which is writing, you know, half of the news in the newspapers already. Essentially, every newspaper in Canada is going to write almost the exact same thing. Certainly on national stories, they'll write the same on provincial stories. There might just be a tiny little bit of color on whatever little reporting is done left at town, uh, your, you know, your city hall kind of thing. Uh, so with you, Corey. Um, do you think, you know, is there a role here for antitrust legislation? Should, should the federal government stop this? Well, they're discussing it. I know they, they said they was going to go to their competition uh, committee or bureau or whatever that might be. Uh, competition bureau's already allowed it, the high Antitrust is always such a dicey, dicey area, you know, when you want a free market. But if you're getting to the point of, yeah, one media outlet controlling 90-some percent of a segment, then we have some serious concerns going on. I, that, that could be one of those rare moments where me, yeah, as a libertarian-minded guy, say, eh, it might be the time for the government to step in and say, no, nah, no. Nah, well, in you, this case, they're not a, got a it's not even like they're a free fans. market enterprise that has achieved a monopoly by any uh, feat of capitalistic ingenuity on their own. Yeah. These are welfare queens. These are some of the biggest scumbags <laughs> in Canada who are operating with taxpayers' money to support all of their operations. They've got all these regulations working for them. So it's not like they're just a great bunch of entrepreneurs who could have just built up a monopoly. These guys are scumbags. Yeah, and I, I don't see it building any more a sustainable model for them anyways. I mean, when Post Media and Sun came together, it just shriveled the whole works rather than creating good merged entities. And I imagine the yeah. same thing will happen if and when this is allowed. Uh, 
again, it's just a desperation move, though. These are the last gasps of a dying industry. Yeah. Uh, Nigel, do you... I mean, mergers and consolidation can sometimes make sense. You can eliminate some overhead costs. Okay, so instead of, you know, um, 100 people in your sales department, uh, 100 people in two different sales departments, you might be able to do with 100 people in one sales department. You know, cut the number in half from 200 to 100, perhaps. There could be economies of scale and technology and maybe, you know, in, uh, you know, selling your advertisement. There could be economies of scale in these things. But they've, <coughs> these media mergers have always just gutted whatever local coverage or local culture is there. Do you think there's any, like you're, you're a newsroom veteran. Is, is there an upside to this perhaps? I don't see one. You know, the, uh, the point about scale, this is explicit. The, uh, just looking at one report here, uh, the publishers involved say that this is a bit to create greater scale. So all your talk, what you were saying earlier about one message coming from, shall we say, Ottawa, they're not going to have two people with two different points of view. Mind you, you don't get more than one point of view out of the press gallery anyway. Mm -hmm. But leaving us, some, you know, without making snide remarks, the, these, uh, how are you going to, how are you, how are you going to trim costs? Well, you're going to trim costs in the newsroom because that's the biggest piece of of the. Of the pie, um, it won't be the it won't be the executive suite that gets trimmed in a meaningful way. People might be allowed to retire and not replace, but that's not where the big savings are going to be. So I, I, I just can't see how how these guys are are, are go this this is nothing more than I think one expression is a hail mary pass. You know, when you got nothing, when you can't think of anything else, you do that. Well, this is there in that situation. They've got nothing else to do. It's been a poorly kept secret in some media circles that post-media is headed for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. they have, they're carrying massive debt loads. They've been raiding their funds to pay the interest. They're broke. They're already broke. They just haven't declared bankruptcy yet. So post-media needs an off-ramp. And, I mean, yeah, the federal government keeps showering them in cash, but it's still not enough. So part of this deal involves the monetization of uh, of that debt, or sorry, they're going to turn that into equity, and also there'll be a big dilution of shareholder value mm -hmm. if the, if if what I'm hearing actually comes to pass. So it the, actually looks more like I, I get we don't know what the deal looks like, but it could be it's more or less poor star kicking over post media in some ways because like its investors seem to have a bit more cash yeah well that, that would be I don't know, but what's your understanding because it's all very murky right now well it is i, I think the um i think the, according to the numbers that have been published and keep in mind this is all speculation by people who are a little closer to it than we are mm -hmm. but that uh i think it's 56 percent would go to the um uh, here what do we got here uh, the Discussions are leading to post-media shareholders will hold a 56% interest, and uh, the Torstar people would hold 44, but then Nordstar would retain 65% of the star. The star is the stronger of the two entities. So, the, so your theory that this may be a, an off-ramp for, for post-media may hold water. The one thing about it is that they've got some big money losers, but they've also, a lot of those little newspapers actually hold their own quite well, mm -hmm. even today. So that might be the strength of uh, post media.
It's a miserable situation, Derek. I mean, look, I love newspapers, gave my whole career to them. I believe strongly in the, uh, the value of, a, of an active newspaper in holding politicians to account and sticking up for the public. There's an old cliche about, you know, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And newspapers do that. And they've done it very well. They're losing their power to do it. They're losing, this is what's worse, they're losing their will to do it. And yeah. I, I'm not sure that the news media, as it, in, in terms of what it's becoming, is going to be quite the loss that we who remember a different news media feel it is going to be. Yeah. Okay, we're going to switch gears up out of kind of a internal media critique here. Um, but still kind of staying in Ottawa today, the liberal fortune cookie. Uh, maybe I'll get you to elaborate a bit more on it, Nigel. Um, but uh, as one would expect, the liberals are very upset about how this China business is working for them. They're not upset, particularly that China was meddling in Canadian elections. In fact, they denied it was for a long time until it became, it was well beyond the point where they could deny it. But uh, we now know a bit about how they've been treating this as very much an internal communications exercise. Yeah, they should be. Uh, they should be upset. Their chickens are coming home to roost. They have not handled this well. Um, the, so wait, wait, so what put, is it we know now? So what we know is that when the story broke, as a result of excellent reporting from a legacy media, as we said earlier, then the question was, how do you make the issue go away? You're the government. You've been fingered. Uh, now what are you going to do? So the first strategy was to get David Johnson, former governor general, highly respected man up until that point. I don't know. The, the first first strategy was deny there was anything going on at all and that the conservatives were racist against Chinese people. Well, that was the first one. Well, then the leaks came out and it, yeah. was, it was impossible to deny. I must confess I wonder sometimes whether the guy who did that leaking is alive or dead. I haven't heard much. I wonder. I haven't heard any more uh, leaks. If he was, uh, if he did have a tragic fall out of window, we probably wouldn't know about it. No, we wouldn't, would we? Have to wonder. Anyway, let's let's uh, let's leave the George Smiley stuff to the people who mm -hmm. write George Smiley stuff. The um, so so there you go. You got the leaks. Well, how do we deny this? We can't. All right, we'll have a we'll have a. A special rapporteur, that was David Johnson, but we won't give him any real powers, so he'll never actually be able to uncover the truth. And anything that he does see, he'll just say, well, I can't talk about it because it's classified. All right, that didn't work, partly because of, of those very things. At the end, the report didn't tell you very much that you couldn't have guessed. So uh, he finally gets... Uh, he well, he did tell us some outright falsehoods, which have been proven incorrect. Well, he finally gets moved out of the picture, and then, I, in their charming way, they turn around and blame the opposition for making this a partisan, a partisan uh, exercise. I mean, what's, what's the exact word? A highly partisan atmosphere in the lead up to uh, the, rec the uh, resignation of David Johnson. So they turn around and blame the very people who are holding them to account. Well, of course they would, wouldn't they? So now. The uh, well, let's have a real public inquiry on who are you going to get to do it. And so we've got to the stage where the, the federal government is saying, well, yes, we'll do it, but we all have to agree on who it's going to be. And we're not going to take any next steps 
on probing foreign interference until the opposition gives us full buy-in. Well, who gets to define what a buy-in is? Well, obviously the government. So they'll just stall and stall and stall. And in, in the perfect world, as in their theory, they would stall this thing out two years until the putative election. So that's the game. How do you make this go away? And but there's something there, all right. Uh, Corey, is there, uh, where, where's this going next? I mean, like we, we are headed towards an inquiry. I think that's that's been pretty much conceded, but it's been some weird game with the liberals saying, will you give us a name of a commissioner first? And then the conservatives are saying, no, you put, like, we'll talk or you put them up. Like, we're in this weird kind of finger pointy phase, but it's inevitable we're getting to an inquiry now, right? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he can really just keep dragging and dragging and throwing up roadblocks and coming up with more stupid things. And I, I, I really don't see an end to it any longer. Maybe he'll grab another compromised individual like Johnston and say we're doing it again and waste two more months. And then when that person steps down, I, I mean, I, I just see it getting circular. The only linchpin in this is Jagmeet Singh. Nothing's going to happen until Singh finds something. And stands up for himself, and there's no indication he's going to do that. So I, I, I think we are headed towards an inquiry. It's just you know how tough and independent it's going to be the person leading in. What are the terms of reference going to be? I think at this point it's been. I think the liberals have more or less conceded. Yeah, we're going to an inquiry, but they're they're trying to. And I actually don't blame the liberals on this part. This is the one part where they've maybe not been terrible. Is they're they're trying just trying to make sure that the conservatives can't do to the inquiry what they did with Johnson, you know, like discredit, you know, put a bunch of light on it and discredit and drag it through the but mud it, as a, it, from the liberal perspective. They, they want the conservatives to have to buy into this and say, okay, we trust this guy. We're going to go with its findings. We're going to go with its conclusions. We're not going to throw shade at it if it doesn't they, give they us would, our conclusions. They would strike a committee by now. Do it then. An old party committee, there you go. Let's start throwing the names out there and hashing it out. They're not even getting that far. They're just throwing out platitudes, as you said, playing that game, ragging the puck. And, and But I don't know if they have a will to ever get to that point. I mean, they just, they're getting away with it. The polls aren't hurting them that much. I mean, they, they're not gaining anywhere, but they're not falling. It's just kind of locked in a holding pattern. All right. Uh, well, speaking of, well, maybe not foreign interference, but a foreign issue. So, uh, God, it must have been roughly, a, was it a year ago that Olaf Schultz came here? Both that. The end of August. Okay. Yeah, you know, just a little a little shy of a year ago, uh, then the newly elected German Chancellor Olaf Schultz uh, came here, and this was in the shadow of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the West, in general, Germany in particular, saying, well, we gotta, we got to get off of Russian gas. Uh, we're funding the Putin war machine here. We're clearly dependent. Um, Russia could turn it off at any time if it doesn't like what we're doing by sending munitions or aid to Ukraine. Plus, even if they don't turn it off, we're funding Russia's war machine. So this is clearly something that's got to stop. Schultz comes here. Oh, he's saying, well, Canada has got all hell for a basement. There's all the natural gas in the world you would need in Canada. And they're a good ally, member of NATO. And they're not total idiots. They must want to make some money. Let's go to Canada and do a deal. And Trudeau famously said there was no business case for it. Well, not long after that, uh, Olaf Scholz signed a deal with the United Arab Emirates. He had gas from them. And now I think it was, what, just yesterday? 
Yes. Just yesterday, Schultz signs a deal uh, with the United States, uh, I think for a Louisiana-based company mm -hmm. to bring natural gas from that country to Germany. I guess the question is, are we just a stupid country? Are we a stupid people? Are we... Uh, are we... Let me put it another way. Let me put it in terms of Trudeau. Does Trudeau really believe there wasn't a business case? Or did he know there was a business case and not want to do it anyway because it's something that would benefit Alberta? And it's technically, even though it's a very clean fossil fuel, it's technically a fossil fuel and fossil fuels are evil. So maybe that's the question. Is it uh, malice or incompetence on Trudeau's part that the only business case that doesn't exist in the world for exporting LNG to Germany is if it's from Canada? You see, it's a little bit like we, what we were talking about earlier with bailing out newspapers and Bill C-18. Yes, it has this primary objective, but if it happens to hurt the independent media, that's great. Here, I think Mr. Trudeau, uh, and I say I think advisedly because I don't know what's in the man's head. I don't think anybody does. But the, uh, I think that he is so personally committed to this idea of fighting climate change, and that he is going to be the person who will be able to claim to the people that he respects who, you know, go to Davos every year and hang out in Paris and at COPS meetings and say, oh, I was the person who got Canada down to net zero, not by 2050, not by 2035, in some cases down to 2030. I, I believe on the basis of what I read that that's what drives him. And so it... Never mind the fact that you could help the global atmosphere by selling Canadian natural gas to people who would otherwise sell, uh, be burning coal. Never mind the fact that Germany is actually an ally and is in distress and needed it. They, we had stories about Germans going around picking up firewood in the national parks over there, which is illegal, but they felt such a you know, such an alarm of the approaching winter that this is what they were doing. None of that made any difference. What he desires is to be able to say, I brought Canada down to net zero. And by the way, if it hurts Alberta, that's great. I don't like those guys either. A lot of them have unacceptable opinions. That would be us, I think. Yeah. In his I think I think we're very much in the unacceptable yes. opinions camp. You know, Corey, I... Um... As a rule, after I take a deep breath on something, especially in politics and, and whatnot, I try to give the benefit of the doubt that, uh, I'm paraphrasing someone else here, but um, he says, don't attribute to malice what can be explained by incompetence. Most of the time when governments do stupid things, like we might think it, they're being evil bastards, that they're malicious, but it's generally they're just idiots. They're incompetent. Government itself as an institution is incompetent, even if the people in charge of it are not incompetent. You add incompetent people on top of incompetent institutions, it's going to have very predictable outcomes. Um, but I have a hard time believing incompetency here. We have, as the saying goes, all hell for a basement. We have unlimited natural gas. Just, it, just there's, no, there's no end of it. Germany needs it. And... We've got pretty well-established shipping lanes across the Atlantic for it. I don't know. But was it just incompetence? Was it just that Trudeau was an idiot? Or was it uh, malicious? That yes. 
Okay. Explain why you yes in explain general. Explain why you say malicious. It's, it's similar. I mean, yes to the whole oh, works to both. and and, uh, and it's and, maliciously incompetent. And, yes, and, and as well as this, he's ideologically obsessed. He he's got tunnel vision. It's it's, it's as Nigel was saying. His whole world. What legacy has, has he got? He's been a prime minister. He's been sitting for a long time, but there's not really a heck of a lot of things he can point to. You know, say as an elderly man and say, "I did that. I did this." He's put all his eggs in the climate change basket. And if we open up a big port on the East Coast that's exporting LNG, even if it's Germany this year, he does have enough brains in his head to realize that'll probably start exporting to other nations as well. And it's going to be a lot harder to shut down the petrochemical industry when you've got this outflow and, and income coming from it. So, I mean, for him to state sitting there, it is questionable whether it was malicious or incompetence or what, when, when you're sitting with the gas right there and you're sitting with a customer saying, I want to buy that gas. And for you to say there's no business case, no, that's exactly what a business case is. Uh, but he, he doesn't care. He just, as Nigel said, wants to be the one he can say, look what I did. I stopped this from spreading further. And uh, yeah, as he said, a bit of the icing on the cake is the malicious aspect. You know, if I can give the middle finger that Alberta that made Dada have such a hard time in the 70s and 80s, all the better. Proven markets, proven products, no business case. Theoretical products for foreign corporations, totally business case. Mm -hmm. So let's talk, yeah, and yeah, like EVs. Like we're just throwing the GDPs of small countries worth of subsidies at EV stuff, where there is clearly no business case of any kind. But he's, he says there's a business case there, but LNG, like, exporting LNG doesn't require a dime from the government. Not one dollar of subsidy is required. Just the federal government to say, we're not going to get in the way. Okay, what do you, okay, we'll work with you for right-of-ways on some pipeline infrastructure to get it to ports, and the right to load it in these uh, tankers, and have it. That's it. No dollars from the taxpayer spent. No business case. But you go to the federal government, you say, hey, I'm running a money-losing newspaper, or hey, I'm running an electric battery operation. Can I have a few billion dollars or tens of billions of dollars? Well, there's clearly a business case to be made. It just raises, I guess, kind of tie it all back together now. Does it make sense to be a capitalist in Canada? Like, especially if you're in a subsidized industry, does it make sense to start a media company? Does it start make sense to start... Say you wanted to have an uh, an EV company in Canada. Yes, you know, I have a problem with EVs as long as people are paying for it themselves. But if you didn't want to take subsidies, it'd be impossible to exist. Does it make sense to be a capitalist in Canada anymore? Not at all. You know, we're living in the conditions described by Ayn Rand in Atlas Shrugged. Exactly what I was thinking. We really, okay. So, I mean, we're for, literally sitting in the John Galt studio. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, I, I understand that not every uh, viewer necessarily has read the book, but. Um, Ayn Rand just talks about the progressive destruction of capitalism uh, and uh, how at the, at the end nobody does anything without a government grant and all the people of genius who actually do something have withdrawn to a, you know... Gulch Gulch. Gulch Gulch is called, yes. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we are. But I just want to make one point about uh, when we're trying to work out whether Mr. Trudeau is, is foolish or malicious... And what we have to remember is that he does things that a lot of people don't like. Perhaps even a majority of people don't like. I'll use the recent passport renewal as, a, as an example. 
but the sort of the destruction of uh, the symbols of an old Canada that he doesn't like, we have not been able to stop him. So is he a fool? Is he incompetent? He is doing what he set out to do. And people who didn't like it have been unable to stop him. What does that make us? Lasty dangerous person. thought. I don't like thinking about that. That's a dangerous thought. Well, Nigel, Corey. That's what you pay me for. Dangerous thoughts. Dangerous thoughts. Oh, that's a good name for a show. Uh, dangerous thoughts. I like it. Yeah, let's do that. Dangerous thoughts. Oh, okay. Boy, killed that conversation, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Different gears are turning now. Okay. All right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for joining us. And thank all of you for joining us. If you're not yet a member of the Western Standard, please go to westernstandard.news right now. Click on membership. It's only $10 a month or $100 a year for unlimited access to bail out free Western Standard content. You'll get access to all of our uh, content, uh, the opinion, our great opinion columnists, all of our reporters spread from coast to coast. Thank you very much for joining us today, and God bless. Here's what commodity prices are doing in Lethbridge today. Cash barley is steady at 420. Feed wheat is down $5 at 415, and corn is down $15 at 403 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, July Minneapolis futures dropped 27 cents to 806 per bushel, with local hard rate spring bid for July movement at 1050 per bushel. Looking at canola, nearby futures fell $29.40 at $709.90 per tonne, with delivered rise for July movement at $16.32 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are trading at $0.33.5 per pound, and yellow peas are steady at $11.25 per bushel. And in the cattle markets, August live cattle are higher $0.27.5 at $179.56 per hundredweight. For more information on pricing or picked up options, give me a call at 403-394-1711. I'm Matt Musicum at Marketplace Commodities. Accurate, real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.